0: Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 15, recording Friday morning, December 18th. And uh, with a little bit of luck and some good uh, maneuvering by our executive producers, we might actually get this one out today, Mr. McKenna. I'm your host, Tom, co-host, Tom Pyle.
1: And I'm your co-host, Mike McKenna.
0: All right. Welcome back again. As I said, what do we want to start with? Do we want to whip through these? Fascinating nominations by the president elects office of presidential transition
1: I think probably one last time before we start poking holes in them next month right At least yeah. we can do for them
0: yeah okay and and by poking holes in them next month, you mean prepping for confirmation hearings
1: well, I was going to point out that you know the, several of them have have a little are a little bit over involved with their friends in the in China about that, but if I say it that way yeah, I
0: think that is. Definitely a diplomatic way of saying it. So who are these picks? Um, Gina McCarthy has decided to once again make another turn in, in an administration and will be the domestic climate czar. I have to say I was a little surprised about this. I did not expect her to go in, in part because she just hauled in $100 million from our good friend from Amazon, the CEO of Amazon. And I just feel like, there's some something to work with there, you know, a little bit of hypocrisy, perhaps. I don't know how hard um, she's going to be on one of the biggest, quote unquote, polluters on the planet in her new perch yeah, at the, the, the at the two, White House.
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's two things about the pick that I found really interesting, right? One is, of course, it's Gina McCarthy, which means we're going to get back on her flying back and forth to her house in Boston, everything. Oh time. yes. Um, so she She's going to probably have the third largest carbon footprint in the administration, maybe fourth behind the Secretary of State, right? Um, so that was one. Two is you know the um I, I don't think the Biden guys have thought about how this is going to work in reality. You know they um they have all these cool people in, but what they don't understand is they're all going to wind up competing and getting getting um, starting to trip over each other. Right. As soon as we get to policy, mm-hmm. and then and then um, and then the other thing that I kind of wonder about is Bezos gave uh, NRDc a hundred million bucks, right? In the same couple of, within a month or or two of each other, right? Jeff Bezos gave all these um, you know proto communists um, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And his wife, his former wife, Mackenzie, gave like four billion dollars away. To a, to a totally different set of people, right? To um, historically black colleges and universities. And I thought to myself that that's a really interesting difference between the two, right? It, it, it One is actually involved in helping people and one is involved in sort of showering themselves in some green,
0: right? Yeah, for the greens, of course. Um, yeah, the other thing I thought was interesting was she was probably – her, I the, the the people that he's choosing, uh, for positions that don't need confirmation, I think is strategic. I think of Susan Rice, for example, mm-hmm. in a domestic policy council position. Obviously, John Kerry and Gina McCarthy, uh, all three I think would have had a, a rather interesting confirmation process. Um, probably yeah. one or two of them might not have made it through, maybe Kerry just because he was a senator, but. They all have long. In other words, they all have pretty long records, Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, plenty of opportunities to point out some hypocrisy. Although it did not stop the Energy and Environment News, the crack media team over there, from calling them climate superstars. So, which by the way, you're gonna our listeners already know this because they're sort of basically our friends, but. Watch this media how they have already flipped the narrative. I mean, these people can do no wrong. They are champions. They're superstars. I mean, it's just compared to, obviously, the beginning of the previous administration's term and the announcements of their picks as well.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I have walked around with a theory in my head that um, the media is going to ultimately start to cannibalize the Biden guys because they're the only thing to eat in town eventually. Um, but the last month has made me wonder about that because the 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 completely uncritical response to all of these nominations um, kind of makes me wonder what what these guys are actually going to wind up doing at the end of the day and. I'm especially disappointed in E&E, right? Um, as recently as five years ago, E&E was a pretty good trade press, um, pretty straightforward, pretty report the facts, um, but with a couple of notable exceptions, that whole squad is now a propaganda sheet.
0: Yeah, I'm, I pointed this out to some of my colleagues. Uh, there was a woman on Twitter, I, I noticed she just joined as a fellow, quote unquote, which whatever the heck that means. She praised her uh, mentors Emily Holden I think from Politico and then um, I flipped through her Twitter feed and she was retweeting Emily Atkins who writes this like caustic caustic blog um, as you know just she was just retweeting a bunch of her stuff and I was just I just shook my head I'm like again we've talked about this maybe not on the podcast but these reporters I mean they're just not even interested yeah. in appearing to be objective any longer it's just it's astonishing to me
1: yeah it, it, it's kind of it's kind of concerning you know i get i get the guys at the new york times and the washington post right they're they're um they're flogging an agenda but places like e and e used to be pretty straightforward news and now you know the the disease has spread all the way down to there
0: yeah uh so who else is on the on the roster now deb holland Dem- democrat first term this would have been her second term from new mexico yeah. A Native American, first Native American ever uh, nominated for the Department to run the oversee the department, which of course uh, over does do a lot of uh, interacting with uh, natives at the BIA and everything else. Uh, my my take on that is a that really puts Nancy in a box. Two nineteen, um, right? Two nineteen. You have two contested elections still, and when she goes off the board. That seat's not going to be filled for several months. She's got a one vote cushion yeah, in it, the it, House it, of Representatives it, it, for the first quarter, at least, if not, you know, halfway into the year.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about that is, right, they specifically asked the Biden administration not to poach any more of their members. And there we are. Boom. It's, you know, it gives you gives you gives you some sense of how closely the biden administration is going to listen to congress right um, yeah
0: and when you say the biden administration you mean the biden administration because i don't i just i want to to give him the benefit of the doubt but i don't think he's pulling he's he's calling the shots on this
1: well and that's so. why i say the Bi- that's why i say the biden administration the biden crew right because it's a it's a um it's like the board, right it's a collective it's not a it's not a individual person making these decisions i will say one thing about um about representative holland right um i think it's great that they're going to that that we're going to have a uh indigenous person uh, you know i'm an indigenous person but anyway an indigenous person um running the interior department because you know what she's going to discover She's going to discover that the Indian trust function is the biggest pain in the ass in that department. Um, you know, and after about a year, she's going to be sick of it like everybody else gets sick of it.
0: Well, I also find it ironic because, you know, uh, the progressives are are chomping at the bit for Biden to ban fracking on pri- public lands, of which New Mexico's Permian production is all on federal land. So potentially you could have her overseeing the demise of her state. Um, unless they, you know, creatively figure out some sort of a carve out for the Permian for the production on the Permian.
1: Yeah. Um, So um, if my understanding of her district is correct, it's Albuquerque and its suburbs. Right. Um, I mean, I know the state capitals in, in um, Los Cruces, just kidding, Santa Fe, Um, (laughs) but, but, you know, there's no way Albuquerque I think she's going to get a lot of conversation from her, from her um, political family, right? The people who supported her and all that other stuff in Albuquerque. That um, look, we know you got to do this. We know you got to do something, but you cannot, absolutely cannot kill us here, right? Um, You know, New Mexico is already a poor state. Um, Can't be, can't make it any worse.
0: Okay, Mike. Who are the other picks?
1: There's Mike Reagan over at EPA, right? He's gonna. from North Carolina. The
0: the 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 EPA administrator that, bought and paid yeah, for by Duke Duke Energy.
1: It, it, you know he'll be fine. I mean he he wants to be an important man, so that's going to restrain his worst impulses. Um, Plus, and, he's got
0: a. It's like um, when a think tank, who's only been run by one person, passes the torch, right? But sits on the board. He's going to have Gina McCarthy like yeah, staring at his six... staring down at him the whole time.
1: That's right, Gina. Gina and Alizadi, right? They're going to be the de facto EPA administrators. He's a he's a steward, a a, a, a caretaker, a stooge, a whatever you want to call it, right? Uh So, you know, there's that, and I um, I'm not sure we got any. Did we get anybody else this week? I, I don't think they we got anybody. I else. think
0: they got a CEQ to round out the energy oh, and yeah. environment. stuff. Brenda staff. Mallory. Yep.
1: Brenda Mallory, she's general counsel over at the Southern Environmental Law Center. She too is a is an operative, right? She's not. You know she's gonna do what she's told by Gina um so it it it's gonna be interesting to see how this is gonna work in practice with Gina and Ollie and all these guys because eventually, and I know this sounds shocking, but guys who get confirmed by the Senate tend to wander around with this weird thought in their head that they're in charge of agencies yeah um, so and just you know just my own very limited experience is there's just a hell of a lot of friction already. But um, between the big house and the, and the agency, but with this kind of thing, with Genus in there, it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. So we'll see how it goes. I, I, this, these guys have a lot of have planted a lot of bad seeds. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out.
0: Yeah. And um, speaking of bad seeds, uh, what did, what, what are the progress, how are the progressives viewing their, their, the picks so far? Uh, overall, not just the energy and environment scene.
1: What What did you send? What did you send me the other day?
0: Well, I have a, a little blurb from an organization called Data for Progress, uh, who was who was doing a cabinet tracker. Apparently, they exhausted themselves giving uh, the uh, the Biden team several options for different cabinet heads and everything else. And uh, let's see. The data for progress cabinet tracker wins interior losses 18 agencies so far. <laughs> wow. There's literally, I think one, two, three, four, seven left on their tracker. So they're one for eighteen. Yeah. It it, it you know,
1: we we we've we've mentioned this a couple of times before. It having been in this situation, I feel bad for these guys. Um but you know, if you if you think about this and you think about congress it, it's like the moderate democrats are just pretending that the progressives like don't even exist there's like you, you guys don't even exist we're not even the only reason they got interior was not because she was a progressive i don't think deb holland is a particularly progressive person um she she got that job because they wanted to be the first to name a native
0: american um, yeah i think she was a late add-on to the list actually <laughs> <laughs> Which is even you know more, what? if I was like, Well, we've got o- scratch, we've got to scratch someone in here. So they just threw her on the list towards the end there.
1: Yeah, if I if I was over eighteen, I'd start taking credit for whatever I could too. Right? Yeah. Because eventually the donors are gonna start asking questions.
0: So we mentioned briefly the the challenge that uh Speaker Pelosi is gonna have uh trying to move major legislation with a one seat with a one vote cushion. Where where do you see uh who you have described as the de facto leader of the Democratic Party, uh, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Where do you see her in the in all of this? What What is uh, put yeah, on your... So, uh...
1: so what happened yesterday uh, was that uh, the Democratic Steering Committee got together and made their final selections for who they're going to put on what committees, right? It's really um, unimportant unless you happen to be a member or a staffer um, and want on a committee, right? Um, and there's always been a traditional New York spot for the energy and commerce guys, right? You know, because it's healthcare, because you know, it used to regulate finance, which is why it has a traditional New York spot, right? Before it got split out, right? Um, it came down to Catherine Rice and or Cortez, Congresswoman Acacio Cortez, and they had a vote, which is very rare that they actually make people vote. Usually, it's it's an acclamation deal, right? Speaker shows up and says, "Here's my list," and everybody says, "Amen," and we're done. Um, This time, Speaker showed up with four of the five set and left the fifth one empty, specifically, I think, to embarrass Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. She lost that vote in the steering committee to Catherine Rice, 46 to 13, right? Um, Only two possible ways to interpret that. Both of them, you know, not conflicting with each other. You can have both, right? One is um, a great big middle finger from the uh, moderates in the caucus to her, right? I think that's probably part of it. The other part of it is a great big giant's we don't care sign um, about Chuck Schumer, right? Because she is, you know, if you foreclose options to aggressive and ambitious people, they eventually will find other ways to channel their ambition. If she's not going to be able to climb up the ladder in the house, she's going to go try Chuck Schumer in the primary in 2022. I've always thought she was going to do that. But now
0: I really think she's going to do it. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it reminds me of another story, uh, that, uh, one member of Congress who was in the state legislature was thinking about running for Congress and, uh, was asking all his buddies in the state legislature what he should do. And they're like, yeah, you go run. We need you in Washington. Yeah, you get out there. So
2: they definitely want, they they definitely
0: don't need or want, uh, AOC uh, in the, in the House of Representatives. Yeah, uh,
1: the other thing that struck me is she gave an interview. Um, she gave an interview like Tuesday or she might've given it earlier, but it, it ran on Tuesday. And she said, look, um, I'm not ready to be speaker, right? It's too complicated. I don't have the experience, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I thought, and I didn't think much about that until until yesterday's vote. And I thought, I wonder if she anticipated that vote and, it, it, was, it wasn't It was quite like she said, you know, I'm out of here. But it was almost like, yeah, you you guys fix your own problem I'm going to the Senate. Yeah, so, we'll
0: see. Um, It'll be an interesting primary for sure.
1: By the way, before you go on to your next thing, we should take a victory lap. Um, we correctly called the Mary Nichols was not going to be the EPA administrator, despite the fact that everybody said she was.
0: Yeah, I'd hoped she was uh, nominated because I think that would have been a lot of fun. But um, unfortunately, you you lost your Mustafa Ali prediction. Yeah, yeah, I feel
1: bad about the Mustafa Ali thing, but if you think about it, this guy Reagan, he's, he's pretty close to Mustafa. So just but gotta, the thing he is,
0: gotta... so the, he's going to have to put Mustafa somewhere. So there, there's hope yet for you to have him running around in the, in the Biden administration.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm going to wind up at Justice or EPA or he's going to be in the White House Office of Public Engagement or something like that, which... Which, by the way, did you see? The White House Office of Public Engagement hired uh, Christian Ferry. To uh, no, the transition's got Christian Ferry. He was their director of Republican outreach. You probably don't remember Christian. Uh, he was a he was deputy in McCain's campaign, and he ran God, whose campaign did he run in twelve, in sixteen rather? I can't remember. He's somebody's campaign manager in sixteen.
0: Oh, you mean and they, now they got him? And so, the funny thing. So he's going to run the Office of Conservative Outreach which yeah. is basically he's, just he's a, no come on in. A... Yeah, come on in. So we're over here, we're working on like completely like taking over uh, whole sections of the economy, i.e. the public option in healthcare, i.e. you know, picking winners and losers in energy, deciding all of this other stuff. But come on and let's chat about your ideas. Oh, by the way, here, sign this list. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we got you now. So uh, it, yeah, it, this it, is the. If it, any of my brethren take one meeting in the office of conservative outreach, I, I I'm going to put them on a list. Also, it's just so ridiculous this whole it, notion. It, so. it,
1: it it cracked. But the fact that when I now have a name, like and I'm like, no doubt, you know, you, you a McCain guy. You had it. Yeah, know he was going to be a McCain guy. Of course. Right? I, just, I, I this whole never Trumper thing. Is just just riven with McCain um McCain guys and people who who haven't won a campaign in like a hundred years. It's like you know, it it. it, it and Steve Schmidt's
0: gonna Steve Schmidt's gonna run against um Mike Lee in Utah. Like, you know, <laughs> his tweet was I can't remember what it was. It was really funny. Uh oh, man, I have to go go back and find it.
1: He, he... You know, Steve, um, and let's just let's just be honest here. The campaign Steve ran in 2016 was the Rick Perry campaign. Yeah. So, yeah. Oops. That turn out, uh, yeah. So, all right. I, um, I imagine Steve's going to have his have the same electoral success personally that he he guaranteed for everybody else.
0: Yeah. So we have uh, the Georgia runoffs still uh, facing us post New Year's. Um, I usually we usually throw in a little COVID hypocrisy. I want to switch gears a little bit and just – I saw this article in the New York Post and it captured my attention. Apparently, uh, Mara de Blasio is kind of holding back on uh, bringing his next budget uh, up until the runoffs, until after the runoffs. Um, he's got a uh, – let's see. We don't know what's going to happen in the elections in Georgia. We don't know what's going to happen in the Senate, de Blasio told reporters during his daily briefing. We do know that Mitch McConnell consistently has been standing in the way of aid to localities. Cities, counties, states all over the country are suffering, and Mitch McConnell keeps blocking help to them. So, all right, I mean— First of all, we already know it's been absolutely clear. She's made it clear now that withholding coronavirus aid or whatever we call it these days was completely political. Now that the election is over and the outcome for the most part is what she wanted. Now she's in a box um, and, and move, making some movement here. But this has <laughs> always been about a, a bailout for blue states. For states that have made really, really lousy decisions and now are strapped for cash and are blaming that fact on coronavirus, which is simply just a diversion from the fact that they've mismanaged the hell out of their budgets and they want the federal government to bail them out. Now, a lot of people don't remember this, and I was even too young to care about this, but there was a similar battle between New York City and the federal government in the 80s. And the president then was Gerald Ford. Is that right?
1: 75.
0: Who told New York to pound sand. And this was a huge, huge issue back then, if you recall.
1: I, I was living in New York City at the time. So, yes, I, I recall. Um, it. it um, it's J- Jerome Powell, um, of all people, gave a congressional testimony yesterday, I think. Um, and in it, he had this fact, right, to the De Blasio point, right that there's 1.3 million fewer people on state and local payrolls than there were last year at this time. Um, and some of that's, of course, retirement; some of it's people voluntarily, whatever. But it's a, it's a reduction, right? And I, I had not seen that De Blasio thing, but it's fascinating that the state of New York, the city of New York, um, the richest city in the hemisphere. Um, is basically waiting around to see if the federal government is going to subsidize it. And by the federal government I mean you and me and everybody who doesn't live in New York City. Yeah. It, it it's that's a that's a that's a really great and troubling admission, right? From a from a mayor. I
0: He's can't literally my- banking his next budget on federal
1: aid. I was gonna say I can't balance my own budget. I'm counting on you guys to do it.
0: Uh, you know, and I've said this to my in-laws and uh uh my other family members who are quite fond of or live in New York. It seems to me that New Yorkers have a penchant for voting for people like Bill de Blasio until they bring their city to its knees and then come to their senses and vote for somebody to straighten it all up and put them back on the, on the straight and narrow. And then as soon as that happens, drop them like a, like a rock. Uh, I'm thinking of, america's mayor for example you know it's just it's amazing to me how how they history repeats itself in in the big apple
1: it's a it's a boom and bust cycle the the interesting thing about that and like i said i hadn't seen it till you heard about it until you read it the interesting thing about that is it sets up the um it sets up the democrats for failure right because if they win the senate if they get control of the senate and they wind up paying off you know states and localities All that means is in 2022 and 2024, everybody who runs against the Senate candidate, a Democratic Senate candidate is going to say, that guy voted to send your money to New York or LA or San Francisco or someplace like that. It it literally sets them up for failure. You know, de Blasio is, it's a good thing um, that he's part of the um, native aristocracy of New York because he doesn't seem to be the brightest bulb
0: well, everyone says, well, nobody likes Bill de Blasio. Like, who likes Bill de Blasio? But he, he got reelected. So well, for, if they don't like him, of, they voted for him anyway.
1: Well, he's, he, you know, maybe nobody gave him a decent alternative. You're right about boom and bust, right? New Yorkers vote boom and bust. Um, but can we use his correct name, please? Oh, sure. Wilhelm?
0: Wilhelm? Wil- yeah. Wilhelm. Yep. Blasio. sure. Wilhelm.
1: You know, but it, 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 it's like Pete DuPont, right? Hey. Your name's Pierre. Pierre.
0: That was George <laughs> W., right? George H.W. in the debates. We uh, talked a don't, few don't. episodes back about memorable debates. George H.W. has had a few memorable moments in debates. Uh, it was that Bob was one Dole. of them. It, it, was was Dole? Dole. Oh it was Bob Dole? Oh, my gosh.
1: Bob Dole looked
0: at him and said, yeah, your name's Pierre. Oh, that's Pierre. <laughs> Pierre. <laughs> Oh, I I apologize, Senator Dole. I I thought for some reason that was HW. If,
1: if I if I if I lived and worked in New York City and like advocated against Bill de Blasio, I would seriously always use Wilhelm. Always use Wilhelm. All
0: right. Uh and a in a bit of um this is just for me uh anecdotally a, a good thing, but uh just to kind of show you that the resentment and anger over lockdowns is starting to mainstream a little. Guy Fietti, the, the uh, yeah. food network guy. Yeah. diners dive-ins and dives, or what it drive-ins and dives. He's joining a lawsuit with the California Restaurant Association, um, challenging the most recent outdoor dining closure. So good on them. I hope that uh, they yeah, succeed. Good. I also um, see that there's now rumblings of p- potentially mounting a re- uh, recall effort on governor governor gavin so uh not sure how successful that will be and quite honestly the last go around uh, the recall of governor davis uh we ended up with the terminator and that didn't end so well so uh, aside from the fact that it would be enjoyable to watch i'm not sure the outcome would be would be all that great
1: it would it would probably be terrible but uh, it would probably be terrible but the the um the fun thing about that is, you know, we just came off of names, right? Wilhelm and Pete, you know, Pierre Dupont. You know, I always thought Gray Davis had the greatest name in American politics because it totally described who he was. Gray, he yeah, was gray. That's, yeah, and I that's mean, why he, and that's why he lost. By the way, he was the most boring politician in American history. Right? Schwarzenegger was sitting out there in the wings. Hell, I'd have voted for him, not knowing what a complete and utter failure Schwarzenegger was going to be.
0: Yeah. Well, um, Gray Davis was also um, governor Brown's chief of staff back in like the seventies or whatever, right? <laughs> like these guys are just, where is the Democrat, where is the Democrat party? Where are these young future leaders? Right. And, uh, and, and, and perhaps that's something you be, you've been thinking about.
1: Yeah. So, so I wrote a column on this, right. Cause the other part of the Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's interview, um, She started off by saying, Look, hey, um, we got a bunch of old leaders and we're going to need some new leaders soon and probably pretty soon. Because she didn't say this, but she's like, Can't live forever. So she also made a point that I think is showing two other points that are totally right. She said, Democrats, especially in the House, have have had no interest in developing new leadership. um, And so they haven't, right? Which is why we don't have anybody. You know, you, hey, we got Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn. And then there's a great big giant drop-off, right? You know, there's nobody, there's no 50-year-olds there. There's like those guys who are 80 and there's Hakeem Jeffries and her who are 30, right? Um, that's a great point too. The other point that that she made was um, to to beat a horse that we beat here routinely. She said, the part of the reason why that happens is because for 40 years now, she blamed those guys. She said, those guys, you know, the, the leaders have aggregated power to themselves and taken it away from committees and individual members. I don't that she's right. I don't just blame those guys though, right? It's everybody who's been in leadership in Congress who's done that over the last since Watergate over the last forty five years. But I thought it's interesting. And I'm getting to think that she and I are thinking along the same track a lot. I was time.
0: gonna say I think you got a, a crush on on AOC man. You've been uh, talking a lot about her lately.
1: I don't know. I don't know like <laughs> I can't figure out if she's really smart um, or if she just listens to people who are really smart, but I find myself nodding along in agreement a lot of times with what she says. I'm like, yep. I, I totally disagree with the remedy. Yeah.
0: The diagnosis- well, the circle, you know, this the circle is complete, right? I mean, you know, she's saying a lot of the same things that we, we, we talk about on the other side and on our side, frankly. So, and it is a, it is a bipartisan phenomenon because Republicans haven't exactly, um, the leadership in the Republican party hasn't exactly uh, returned power to their committee chairman either. So,
1: you know, Newt, Newt Gingrich was the worst, right? It, it Maybe she listens to the podcast on.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll check on that. We'll see. If you're out there AOC and you're listening, give a thumbs up and one of your Twitter, Twitter posts. Okay. Um, speaking of the the coronavirus, I wanted to uh, just remind our listeners and uh, we're going to have a very ex- Extensive uh, Rundown of all of the various ways that American oil and gas have made the coronavirus vaccine possible um, I don't want people to uh, uh, I want people to, to remember that as they're getting the shot in the arm as Biden likes to call it um, Without hydrocarbons uh, They're the basis of the organic chemistry uh, which in turn makes the plastics that are used in the production of the vials, the screening, the protective gear, and thousands of other applications throughout the med- 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 uh, throughout and thousands of other applications throughout the medical logistics chain. Transportation of the, of the virus storage of the virus in the negative 70 degree environment that it, uh, this current uh, mRNA uh, vaccine, Uh, It requires, um, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So um, I just bring that to our viewers' attention because uh, this whole uh, Biden team uh, has such uh, utter disdain for for these these resources. And a lot of people don't think about the petrochemical side of the conversation.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, let me add a couple other things to the list that you don't think about. right everything from everything from a from a lab being able to maintain a sterile and um, perfect environment to the microscopes that get used um to the refrigeration right that you mentioned you think about it if we couldn't refrigerate this stuff nobody could use it and it's not just this everybody knows somebody who's dependent on a drug that has to be refrigerated um you know i, I was always struck by whatever um, we talk about uh nuclear war in both school and at the department of energy right the the immediate ancillary casualties other than the ones who die from the war would be everybody who depended on refrigeration everybody who depended on refrigeration because there's you know nobody to refrigerate so it in a a a more functioning industry would have put out a bunch of press releases the first day of the first vaccine saying hey you're all welcome
0: yeah, um, there's you know, been a couple uh there's been a couple I think energy transfer <laughs> uh did did a post about it uh but they're not you know they're not touting they're not touted nearly as, as as much as they the, should be.
1: Yeah, I mean they, they every everyone in the energy business, everyone in the oil and gas business should be intensely proud of this cuz the achievement is um partially shared by them. No way around it, right?
0: Yeah, I mean we've said this all year long. We've highlighted um Uh, You know, some of the good news stories coming out of the industry, taking care of their communities, um, you know, uh, and now this. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about this uh, over the next year or so when they start talking about, you know, demonizing these products. And also the reality of the fact that, you know, uh, everything in this town is sort of viewed from this very narrow lens and And sort of the reality of the the situation is n- is not talked about a lot. I mean, thirty years ago we eighty percent of our energy came from three sources. Today that number is roughly eighty percent still um, and that number isn't going to go down significantly in the next thirty years. I point to an IER blog that we'll put in the notes. Um, China is building an enormous coal-fired fleet, which is more than the entire generating fleet of the United States from all sources and oh, the re-
1: 110 gigs
0: and the reason is is because they are building for the future <laughs> right because they know electricity demand is going to go up and they are building for the future so all this talk about China leading the clean energy revolution they will maybe lead the clean energy, quote unquote, revolution, but at the same time, they will also lead the conventional energy revolution, uh, for lack of a better word. And that's just happening simultaneously.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you know, the problem in this country, we're a fabulously wealthy country, um, which means we can waste money on a bunch of stuff and we can have a bunch of people walk, you know, running around, um, talking nonsense and nobody ever says, I don't think that's Right. The Chinese are not a fabulously wealthy country. The Chinese are a developing country, so they have to look at the world the way it is, not the way they imagine it might be.
0: Yeah, and they have, you know, we have a five-year plan for leasing, which I always uh, think is ridiculous. They have five-year plans for their entire economy, and they mandate pretty much every means of production in in the country, Um, and they're basically telling all of their provinces you will build X number of electric vehicles. You will build X number of coal plants. You will do this and that and the other. And here's some money to do it uh, in part. Um, so the 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 idea that um, the uh, United States, which is 15% of the, the world's emissions, goes to net zero emissions by any number of date doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things if you're talking about emissions of CO2 because it's going to be made up and then some by China and other countries.
1: We've talked about this before. This this whole thing has an air of mythology to it at this point, right? Um you know, it's 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 crazy. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in 2035, it's not going to happen in 2050, not not without some kind of an intervening technological advance that is not yet seen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh and then one other <laughs> One other, one other oil and gas thing, and uh, uh, I have a clip to set this up, and I'll play it right now, and we can chat about it. Hold on a second.
1: Live with newsrooms in Midland and Odessa, this is CBS 7 News
3: at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us here at 6. Topping our news, the CEO of an oil and gas services business operating in the Permian Basin says the North Face, a popular outerwear company, recently denied his order of nearly 400 jackets solely because of the industry it is in. CBS 7's Joshua Skinner spoke with the CEO
2: and has the details. Joshua? Inovex Downhole Solutions says it was recently denied an order of about 400 jackets from the North Face, a popular outerwear company based solely on the fact that they're in the oil and gas business. But many of the products that companies like the North Face provide, such as cold weather gear, rubber boots, and fleece are all made from petroleum products. I I was surprised, but not surprised, if that makes sense. That's Adam Anderson, CEO of Inovex, a company based in Houston, but with nearly 100 workers in the Permian Basin. Each year, the company gets a Christmas gift for its employees. This year, it was supposed to be a North Face jacket with an Inovex logo, a company Inovex has ordered gear from in the past.
3: They told us that we did not meet their brand standards. and we were we were kind of separately informed that well what that really meant was that we were an oil and gas company.
2: The irony of the North Face denying service to an industry that provides the ability for it to make and sell its products isn't lost either.
3: Uh, let's say the recreational activities that they uh, uh, that they encourage are all things that require hydrocarbon to make the products to uh, provide the uh, let's say the the means to get to whatever activity folks want to perform is just so intertwined with everything that we do.
2: Everything is right. It's a position Anderson wants to convey to the North Face and the rest of the world. So he responded to the North Face via LinkedIn, penning a four-page letter about the importance of the oil and gas industry to modern life. It quickly
3: went viral. Hydrocarbons They're critical not only to energy, but also basically most of the products that we consume uh, and utilize today. The jacket that we're wearing, uh, our clothes, the computer, the phone, boots, whole variety of um, uh, things that are made today uh, directly from hydrocarbons.
2: Inovex still got the jackets, but through a different company. We reached out to the North Face for comment via phone, email, Twitter, and Facebook, but have not received a response. Anderson isn't mad, but hopes the situation can help create a dialogue about the importance of oil and gas.
3: I think there's a view out there in, in the world that's uh, increasing that says that um, uh, oil and gas is bad. And I, I just fundamentally
2: disagree with that view in every dimension. In Midland, I'm Joshua Skinner, CBS 7 News.
0: Sums it up rather nicely.
2: Yeah, um,
1: three things, right? In no particular order. Um, one, that guy should be president, um,
0: <laughs> or he should at least run API.
1: Well, that was going to be my second point, right? That you know what the what the bad guys, what the other guys, the other side are going to do here is they're going to try to do a BDS movement on the oil and gas guys, right? They're going to try to take away their legitimacy, and 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 the third thing, and that's really disturbing, right? Um, and the third thing is is that. It's sad, it's tragic, but it's totally predictable that the guy who has to defend the oil and gas business is one of the EMP guys,
0: right? Yeah.
1: That, that API doesn't say word freaking one. Um, has Mike Summers said anything about this?
0: Well, I can't say for sure he has or he hasn't, but it is certainly not top of their uh, communication strategy.
1: Haven't read anything, right? And like I said, that guy should be president because he's got the message down right. And it's so frustrating because I don't think my friends um in the in the larger associations and the larger companies understand the threat here. The threat is not regulatory, the threat is not legal, the threat is social and cultural. And that ENP guy down in Midland, he gets it. He gets it. It's not that complicated to yeah. get.
0: Well, it is social and cultural, but it's also financial. Uh, and we don't have time to get into that, but we will in future episodes. On ESG and, and this whole notion of you know financial risk uh, due to climate change uh, could potentially dry up some sources of financing for this stuff. But, you know, I want to talk about the hypocrisy of North Face because it's sort of the Patagonia uh, as well, right? I mean... The whole notion that, you know, your, your entire product line is not possible uh, without the, the company or a version of the company that you just rejected an order from um, is just, it's mind boggling to me. So
1: It's probably a conversation North Face, Patagonia, REI, right? Doesn't does want to have all those tents in D.C. that <laughs> REI gave out to the homeless dudes. I guarantee you the last thing Aria wants to do is let anybody know that those things are made of really, really high quality plastics. Right. Um, and, and stuff made from oil and gas. Cause that, that would wreck, that would wreck their brand. Right. It, if, if we were smart, if we were smart, we would, we would start shooting messages to, to North face in all kinds of different formats about, Hey, how do you make your stuff? You know, make them have a conversation yeah. about how they make their stuff.
0: Like Lego. Same deal. A very wise person told me that the only, to, the only way that um, we're going to fix the uh, culture of the auto industry is if the consumers themselves start to vote with their, with their pocketbooks and make it clear to these auto uh, companies that they should be the focus of their attention, not the government. Um, and I think the only way that um, this is going to change is if we start doing exactly what you just said, which is just stop buying their crap, right? And and just sort of sort of create the the the, the counter narrative that you know this hypocrisy, both uh, you know, with these government officials flying back and forth every weekend uh, in the name of you know while they crusade to to make our lives miserable. Um, you know, we got to call this stuff out. I know I'm not a big fan of hypocrisy uh constantly, but you know, I think that it, I think that it's effective as a communication tool.
1: Well, I'll say this, right? North Face jackets are no different than Lands' End or LL Bean, right? They're no better. Um, you, but you're what you're buying is a certain cultural thing, right? Um, a certain approach approach to the culture. If we start to challenge that by pointing out, hey man, these guys are these guys are just as just as um, involved in the oil and gas trade as anybody else. You know, I, I don't think boycott. We should call
0: wrong. them oil and gas companies. <laughs> yeah. Start calling oil and gas dependent yeah. companies. Yeah, like that's that. what they
1: are. I mean, they're they're you know George Bush said that we were addicted to oil. The kid, not the dad, right? Okay, if we're addicted to oil. Those companies, they're dealers. So you know, it it the only thing these guys live on is the brand. They don't live on the product. Yeah. So all
0: right. So here we are on the 18th of December, and uh, th- as of midnight tonight, the budget uh, we will be in a government shutdown. The uh, uh, they call them the four corners now, which is ridiculous. But basically, the entire country is being run by four individuals and their staff at least uh, on the House side, I mean, at least on the congressional side of Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, massive spending bill, a couple of ancillary things. One is a mini, uh, they're calling this mini now, uh, one point something trillion dollar COVID relief package, which won't have liability protection for um, businesses and hopefully won't have a state bailout uh but also, I'm wondering why we're even fighting this this liability protection, other than the precedent it might set to have a liability protection, so that the you know trial lawyers get a, get a loss every now and then. Because I, as I understand it, most of the states are doing this already. So you know, to me, holding out uh, liability protection in exchange for bailing out these blue states is a bad move. But set that aside. There's a third thing happening brewing here is the zombie Murkowski American Energy Bureaucracy Act um, has resurfaced and is likely to be added to this monstrosity um, unless uh, a senator or two objects to it being inserted into the package by unanimous consent. Um, You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, the way we're, you know, we, we have an energy bill um, significant an energy bill. We have a bill that has energy in the title that um, significant chunks of which have not been, have not enjoyed any kind of scrutiny at all, right? Um, including one that specifically references uh, net zero by 2050 and 100% clean energy by 2035, courtesy of Frank Lucas at uh, Oklahoma. Send you cards and letters to, to Congressman Lucas. Um, so, you know they want to airdrop it in into the into the omnibus at the end of the year now um you know where we are is the administration is not wild about that idea I don't think McConnell's wild about that idea but he's not going to um he's not going to stop the show on account of it um you know both he and Barrasso have asked for certain provisions to be dropped from that from this energy quote bill um Frank Lucas has not agreed to drop it um, so question is, you know, at this point a, a single objection would probably be enough to scuttle it because they're trying to get out of town um, Saturday or Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they don't they're not gonna have time to to spend 30 hours filing cloture and all that other hoorah. Um it it it's just gonna take somebody to do it. I'm not sure who's gonna do it. I'm not even sure if it's gonna get done. Um, last thought, right? I like I like the description of these guys as the four corners. Um, let me ask you a question. You've been out to four corners.
0: For the record, I have not been to the Four Corners. I was supposed to go there on my big RV road trip this summer, but it was closed due to COVID, and I'm oh. bummed about it.
2: Did, did
1: that RV, was that an electric vehicle RV?
0: No. In fact, I no. think I spent uh, a couple grand on diesel.
1: So every time they say Four Corners, I think about Four Corners, which as you know, is just a, basically a big barren bag of nothing. And if you had to describe the legislative branch of the United States, it would be a big, barren bag of nothing.
0: Do not have time to get into this. Wanted to get into this, Congressman Eric Swalwell.
1: Eric Swalwell, yeah. Uh, uh,
2: I...
0: The man who accused President Trump of being a foreign agent for the Russians was sleeping with a foreign agent from China. Yeah, <laughs> and he's not. He has not been removed from the Intelligence Committee yet. Still,
1: so the Wall Street Journal did a really interesting timeline run on that a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw it. So here's what Swalwell um, says, right? That uh, this thing happened. That the um, that the Bureau came to see him. The Federal Bureau of Investigation came to see him in 2014 and gave him a defensive briefing, and that. Uh, he stopped right away. Right. OK. The Wall Street Journal points out that he came onto intelligence in early 2015. Right. January top of 2015. Right. So basically there couldn't have been more than a couple of weeks or months between when he stopped doing it and ostensibly when he stopped doing it and when he came on intelligence and that and there was no conversation with Speaker Pelosi about this. There was nothing like that. And he went not only from, not only did he get on intelligence, but he went immediately to be the um, Democrat running the subcommittee on CIA oversight. It, somebody yeah. is not, somebody is either, either Speaker Pelosi knew about that. And in which case that's a horrible answer, right? Cause she knew about it and did this crazy thing, put him in charge, or he didn't tell her, which in his case, Wow, that's pretty bad, too. Well,
0: I mean, there's a lot of going on here with California and Chinese infiltration of our uh, se- security generally. I don't buy for a minute that the reason that Dianne Feinstein is stepping down is because she's diminished. When you've got Joe Biden getting, getting sworn in on January 20, I think there's some issues there. She was also compromised as well. Um, well, well, in her, her office driver,
1: right for like for like 15 yes. years right or her, her so, yeah.
0: i know this isn't a show about intelligence <laughs> <Sure>. but uh <laughs> it, it certainly uh is uh worth mentioning that uh the, the californians are bringing a whole lot of bad to the nation um uh, across the board and it's a, it breaks my heart given my ties and my roots there um and uh the fact that the, everything that comes out of California is just bad these days. So, um, this thing
1: I don't get. This thing I don't get is pulling Congressman Swalwell off intelligence seems to me to be the minimum that they should do. The minimum.
0: Oh, uh, he should be on that. ice right now until they decide whether to kick him out of the United States Congress.
1: You know, I mean. I'm willing to say, okay, he made a mistake and blah, blah, blah. It's one of those things that he didn't know. Although you got to think, you know, that if, if a very attractive woman comes up to you and says, hey, I'd like to, you know, get to know you. And bundle you. Guys, I'd like to
0: bundle you in right. more ways than one.
1: Right. Most guys look at that like, okay, something some must be wrong here. She's probably a Chinese agent. Um, you make a mistake. That's one thing. But he himself should remove himself from intelligence until, like you say, until like we get to the bottom of it and everybody figures out who did what to who. The other thing I'm wondering about is, she was a bundler for a member of Congress for a for a junior member of Congress. Yeah, I'm willing to. I'm willing to bet you she was his only bundler. Just right out because there's just not that much money floating around in these races.
0: Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, so. We'll do one more episode before we break for the holidays. Are you uh, ready to rock? You got every all your gifts bought and family situation arranged. How how are things going in the McKenna household?
1: I'm waiting patiently for one to show up, um, which may or may not make it. Um, and I got a wrap presents probably tonight, and then you know that's that. So I'm 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 pretty close to done. I feel good about the world.
0: We're we're doing all right. Uh, we've got just in time deliveries coming for a few like the hot ticket items but uh, we've got a a handle on it this year and I think it's going to be the first year it's just going to be us sounds to me like so that'll be an interesting dynamic and and rather enjoyable so
1: (laughs) (laughs) because
0: I haven't spent enough time with my family this year (laughs) so you know I figured just kick it in kick it up another notch
1: Um, You know, as as we're going to celebrate the birth of the birth of our savior and and whoever wants to come along for the ride is coming along.
0: All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up here. Um, I want to close with this is an old pick by the Biden uh, team, by the Biden. Committee, Uh, but uh, I wanted to uh, share with our viewers the clip of the day um, where Joe Biden welcomes his good friend. Here it is.
2: I'm really proud of this group. For Secretary of Health and Education, I nominated Javier Baccaria. No. You know, Javier Bechera, excuse me. I'm really proud of this group. Wait, I got to do it again. I'm really proud of this group. For Secretary of Health and Education, I nominated Javier Baccaria. You know, Javier Bechera, excuse me. He's just so bad.
0: I just okay. The the part that I, it's not even the baccaria that bothers me. Do you know what position? Do yeah, you even seriously. know what position he he nominated him for? Do you want? I need to run this back one more time so our listeners can really pay attention because I didn't know there was a Secretary of Health and Education. I'm
2: really proud of this group for Secretary of Health and Education Service. I nominated.
0: <laughs> Secretary of Health and Education. <laughs> I don't even know what well, position that is, but I mean, you know, more power on. to him.
1: He remembers it as a se- as what it used to be: health, education, and welfare. Back, yeah. Ray Carter changed it to health and human services. We broke out education, but for the old timers, it's always going to be HEW.
0: Yeah, and and, and old timers I mean, uh, is the right word. I'm going to put in the show notes an oldie but a goodie from the National Review. I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but uh, he wrote this in September and he just on, he just completely unloaded on, on Biden. Uh, It was, I reread it this morning. It was just brilliant. So uh, I will uh, share that with our, with our listeners.
1: All right, doctor.
0: Well, that's it. I guess that's a wrap. And uh, I think we're going to do this again. I think uh, we're going to have a Christmas special next week. Peace out, everybody. Peace. Enjoy your weekend don't uh, don't work too hard on the uh, on the last minute gift buying hey.